Welcome to Taiwan Talk. My name is Trevor Tordemasi, and today we're speaking with Lius Rakulivu, Taiwan Indigenous Youth and Scholar. Welcome. Thank you. So, Lius, can you tell me what you've been working on recently? Actually, I just graduated from a, a, a graduate school. I wrote my thesis about urban indigenous people. Also about myself, my returning home and issues growing up in my township and how I feel about my indigenous community. Where is home for you? Home for me is Joskadan, my hometown, New Joskadan, uh, to be specifically. It's located in Pindong County, an indigenous community with around like 2,000 people. And I, I grew up there. For me, home is where the culture is. So Joskadan is important for me. You mentioned Chuviskatan and New Chuviskatan. Yes. Can you tell us the difference and, and wh which one is the, the new one? Okay. So Chuviskatan is a name of the old town. Uh, it's located in a mountain area of Bintong County. And it has been existing for at least 400 years, uh, dating back to the Dutch written document. And it's a Slaystone house village with... Uh, 50 Slaystone houses in the past and we still have that and it's one of the potential heritage sites by the Bureau of Cultural Heritage Ministry of Culture in uh, 2010 and uh, this is where our ancestor came from Juskadam but when the government from China came to Taiwan KMT they forced uh, people to move from Juskadam to a new place in the valley Called Jugangan, wow. the river valley, and we lived there for ten years. Uh, we were forced to move it in 1961 uh, from Old Joskadan, the old town, and uh, people lived there in in the valley from 1961 to 1971 when the typhoon destroyed Jugangan, and then the government also um, we have to be relocated because it's destroyed so we moved to the plain area in 1971 and we call it new to and also uh, not just people from Juskadan that suffer from the typhoon but also other Biowan groups around Juskadan they also moved to new Juskadan so there are like four Biowan groups living there plus one Chinese uh, Han, Ch uh, Han Taiwanese group Okay, so so after after that, were you born in New Chuviskatan? Yes, I was born there in 19, 1992. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was school there uh, from um, kindergarten up to elementary school, and I brought up by my grandparents. And uh, my grandparents had farmland in the old town, Chuviskatan. Mm -hmm. and, and that one's much higher on the mountain. Yes, yes. It's about... How far away uh, from... Uh, it's like 40 minutes by a scooter. With gear. Whoa. Yeah, but it's like one hour by uh, a car. Yeah, but much of the road were uh, destroyed by a typhoon in uh, 2009, Morak typhoon. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of roads are still under construction. Can you tell me about the, the difference between those two towns? Like where you grew up and when you visited your grandmother mm -hmm. up further in the mountains, what was... What was yes. that like? Actually, uh, living in the mountain, there's no electricity. So we use candle to light up the room. And I mean, my grandparents live there, but they also come back to the new town regularly for church. They're Christian. And living in Old Jusgadan is like you can hear the sound of many birds, like owls, things like that. And I was the only child, I remember, when I was there. Because all the kids are living in the new town, so sometimes I feel bored, but sometimes I feel like lots of like uh, appreciations I have after I grew up. Because as I grew up, I left 
my community in the old town and I go to the city and uh, it reminds me how I enjoy my life back in Joskata and just surrounded by nature. I'm just playing by myself in the field and just like see taros and many crops growing up and I just like it reinforced my attachment to my old community when I left for city for school. Yeah, and the life there is very, I would say, very simple. I don't know when when we went to bed, but I think it's early when darkness came, and then we just, you know, maybe spent two hours and, and slept. And it's also interesting that all, all of the houses are built traditionally, like with slate stone houses. So it's wow. like a flat slate and stacking up, and they have also have like a rooftop made of like slate stone houses. And Does that feel hotter? No. Actually, actually, the house breathes. Wow. Because there's little cracks, right? And also, the house is built with wood structure. So every time we enter to a, a, a traditional slate stone house, we have to start a fire to keep the insect out. Because ah. insects are going to eat all the wood. Yes. Yeah. And we also have to organize all the slates on the rooftop regularly, like at least once a year. And that's traditional. But my grandpa, he used to be a construction worker and he know, knew how to use cement. Actually, he built a, like, you know, kind of modernized style of slaystone house. Like, like he has this like a cement wall, but the rooftop is still like a slaystone. So I think that's the first cement style slaystone house ever built in Joskatan, wow. a family house. And also, so, he also built a toilet <laughs> next to the <laughs> stone house. Made of slate stone? Uh, no. Okay. Concrete. <laughs> okay. It, at least it wasn't wood, I would say. Yes. So that's that's a little bit about what it's like in Juviscatan. Now, in New Juviscatan, further down the mountain, what was what was life like growing up for you? I would say that um, New Juviscatan is one of the most popular or populous uh, region for Bayon people. It has first convenience store in indigenous uh, district, 7-Eleven. In, it's built in 1999. And it also has a night market every Monday. Before Jyotskatan people were forced to re- relocate to the area, there were like, already some Baiwan people and, and, and Han Taiwanese people there. And that area is already like a trade like a point. And when we all moved down, the population increased greatly, and then we have business going on. I think that's it's interesting because the owner of the convenience store is also indigenous by one. I think it has a uh, it has two sides. My experiences in indigenous communities is kind of different from other people's experiences. It's more modernized, more mar- marginal, mar- ma- modernized, like more like more modernized, more business going on there. Can you tell me what it was like in your village? What what was the the social structure, what was daily life like when you were growing up in New Juviscata? Yeah, for me, uh, Juviscata, uh, in my community or uh, many uh, Baiwan uh, community, they have this Vusan system. Baiwan is Vusan? A, yeah, Vusan means the firstborn child in the family. And uh, regardless of the gender, so male, female, children can be Vusan as long as, as, long as they're firstborn. And uh, Baiwan people believe the first child in the family who is Vusan who sees the sunlight, the first sunlight of that generation. And a Vusan is expected to continue a family name. So, for example, if my dad is the firstborn or my mom is the firstborn or whatever, that I'm first child, I will carry their name. We have 
in Taiwan, we, we, we name the house, and the house is our last name. So, for example, if I, my, my dad is like a firstborn child, he's a firstborn child and a firstborn child, I would take his name. And my other siblings, uh, they will have my father's name until they get married and they have built their own house and married to someone else or they're married to other Wusan and then they take other people's names or they have new names based on the house. Well, what happens yeah. if, if two non-Wusan get married? Well, they'll have new name given by Wusan sibling okay. from, from one of the spouse. So there are lots of new names coming up all the, all yeah, the time? Yeah, 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 based on the house and the land. Cool. So name changes, mm-hmm. yes, and also Wusan's spouse is expected to live with Wusan's family and to take care of the Wusan's family, and the Wusan also has to take care of the whole family. Like, so it comes with a lot of responsibilities, responsibilities, expectations, and something like that. And for me, I'm firstborn of my parents, but not the family. But I'm the firstborn, like a grandchild for my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So they have this a lot of expectations on me, even though I'm not the firstborn, firstborn, but I'm the firstborn of the family. And uh, I feel it is different when it comes to their um, upbringing. Every time they ask me to like when I visit other relatives and my parents, you have to like go say hi to all the elders or something like that. But my parents would not say that to my younger sisters. And one thing is that they're also very supportive for my education. They think that I'm the seat of the family, so I, they put all the resources on me and to maximize my education because they believe education is a key to to change life or something like that. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, that's their, their beliefs. So, what was it like moving into an urban area? How did you start to feel your life change? I started to feel my life change uh, when I was in urban area. That academically, that uh, in my junior high school, the workload is so different, and also people that I in class with, I feel like my unique. I feel my uniqueness because they all look different. They look different from me. I have darker skin, bigger eyes, and they have like a lighter skin and a smaller eyes and a very good grades. And sometimes I feel like it's weird when they see me, if I do something, and my, my, my peers, my, my classmates, oh, well, indigenous people always like that, you know, like you, something like that. You felt like you were representing something that you didn't ask to represent. Yes, just yeah, everything is unfair. about indigenous. I said, no, it's not accurate. I don't sing every you know or i don't play sports well and not like a stereotypical image of indigenous people some something like that and i feel like i have to prove that i i'm no different and when i went to city indigenous students have this uh, educational incentives mm-hmm. uh, meaning that uh it's indigenous education incentive for high school and a college in, uh, entrance exam so uh it's one of the policies of affirmative action on indigenous students they have an extra 35 score addition to high school and a college entrance exam if they pass the indigenous language uh, proficiency tests and i was asked Many times when I go to high school, because I went to the top high school in Pintong. In my school, teachers sometimes, well, they say something like very, sounds very casual, sounds very like, you know, just funny. But for me, it's like... Kind of hurtful? Kind of hurtful. It's like, for example, when we are, I think we're on the 12th grade, we're preparing for a college exam. And 
one of the teachers in my school said that oh they're teaching us about the strategies to take to, to maximize your your scores and blah 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 blah, blah a lot of strategies and he, and he said unless you have uh, I don't know how to say it in English you know is that blood uh, good blood or higher blood or something like that yeah yeah that's that's kind of disgusting to hear people still think like that yeah but I don't know how to like fight back I don't know how to like talk back because this is like the education that I, I was receiving was always about history about other cultures not much about indigenous cultures and uh, indigenous festivals and or, or bio one traditions or hierarchy or something like that no it's very it's taught very shallowly when I was a kid in American school I was not aware of the issues happening around my community what I wanted is to go out because I feel like you know city is a flashy everything's good there but I don't really appreciate my own culture because I'm not aware of that right you want to play the games yeah, you want to watch the, the TV games, you I want to play the games I want to play Diablo 2 something like that <laughs> on like cafe you know when I was a kid <laughs> yeah. yeah I was so addicted to that to playing uh, you know playing Diablo, oh, Diablo 2 you're not the only one we might cut this <laughs> out later but <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes so when I was a kid I'm not aware of that but when I went to college and also junior and senior high school I started to figure out my uniqueness and I was questioned by my Han Taiwanese peers about they ask like do you know how to speak your language uh, do you know how to sing or something like that and I think that to myself yeah do I know something like that and it, it started to have these issues and, and and everything started to like you know kind of explode in, in college if it feels like it is an imperative to connect or to know about where you come from and your local issues in order to make you indigenous. So this kind of discussion for me is like, I had this confused when I was in senior high school, but not realize it's a simulation, a simulation like a policy. Do you, has, has that changed recently with recognition of more tribes around Taiwan? Yes, I think that changed from indigenous schools, like local schools, and people are able to develop teaching materials uh, aiming like with a cultural sensitive subject so kids can get involved or know the knowledge about local culture uh, early from elementary school and then I think the government or like people are still working on to produce more educational materials for other junior high school and senior high school and then to uh, finally to establish a college that is aiming for indigenous uh knowledge something like that well now now you're a top student can you tell me about your thesis and, and what it's about the thesis i was i was trying to talk about is like so in 2016 i befriended young people from originally from new Jersey garden and they're educated outside new Jersey garden they don't have like not much of like experiences in the town and they wanted to go back to look for their identity to learn culture in Juskatan and Juskatan culture. And we started a project in 2016 and there are three uh, urban indigenous young people that know from the project. And I interviewed them and there are a lot of labels on them. They're urban indigenous, they're indigenous, they're Baiwan, they're students, they're top students or something like that. And how, what is an implication to be indigenous for them in the contemporary uh, world? And how does Bulo, we call Bulo is in, in Mandarin is just a community, but mm -hmm. this word is specifically, I don't know why specifically for indigenous people, but it's not a 
legal one. And、oh. we say 部落 is like how their sense of rootedness has. The sense of their、Change. roots, yeah, 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 root、mm-hmm. has changes throughout times through through their interaction with people in New Jersey and in the urban area. The interplays of their social relations in、uh, urban area,、mm-hmm. New Jersey, and also abroad. How how does that experience affect their their, their identity about、mm-hmm. New Jersey? Well, luckily, I met some、um, urban indigenous young people. To work on the project with, I did, didn't go abroad to to Australia,、uh-huh. and accompanied by other cultural groups like performing groups from Taiwan, and we I came with ind- indigenous groups mainly,、uh, they're mostly Taiwan, and we're there to perform for the、uh, Sydney Taiwan Week. It's an activity held by overseas、uh, Australian Taiwanese,、uh, Taiwanese Australian there, and、uh, we visited many schools and we talked about our culture and just help. I just help perform. I perform there and also help interpret for the event. When you encounter、um, indigenous people、uh, of other sort of Pacific Island areas, maybe、mm-hmm. Australia, or if you've met Maori people,、yes. have you have you found a sort of connection there deeper than as deep as language or culture? I feel there are like, a lot of like things in common. The language sounds very similar. Really? Because、uh, so so indigenous languages of Taiwan is seen as the root of the Austronesian language family. And Austronesian languages are spoken by mainly indigenous peoples. I think people in Taiwan, they、mm-hmm. see indigenous people as a big group, but actually there are like variations within different groups and even within different communities, the different culture. So when you approach indigenous people, that is very important to understand what's going on in their community rather than seeing them as a whole group together, same group. No, something like that. Is the language very, very different from tribe to tribe? Yes, very. it's very different. Like, okay, there are sixteen indigenous groups, right? And there are forty-two dialects. Even in Taiwan, there are like four different dialects. But the differences between Taiwan languages are not that large. But people understand; they can like communicate with each other. But some group, even they're in the same group, they're speaking different languages. Like, for example, people of Sedek. Diane and also Daruku, they they have similar culture. They have like face tattoo, but the languages within their own groups are also very different. Not all people can communicate. Even they're the same, same they're c- categorized as the same people.、Mm. Yeah, and also Rukai people too. Rukai is by、uh, one. It's it's indigenous groups, but I remember there are three communities, Rukai communities in Pingtung. There are three, and they they speak three different languages, but they are in the same category as Rukai. In all the Austronesian languages, sort of influence,、mm-hmm. you said、uh, Taiwan's indigenous peoples' languages is sort of a, a root. primogenitor of that. Yes, it's the origin of that. Okay. Well, for example, when in my community, when we say thank you, we say masalu. Hawaiians say mahalu. Oh. Yeah, and we count numbers like Idalusa, Dilusiba, Ima, Bichu, Ao, Shiva, Dabunen, Dabluk, one to ten. It's very similar across the Austronesian region. Lima is five and is common for most Austronesian-speaking region. 
is there a system that's continuing language education of, of the Paiwan language mm -hmm. to youths in Chuviskatan? Yes, and uh, well, there are different aspects, like there are uh, language teaching efforts uh, in the uh, public school system that were taught about Taiwan language when we were in elementary school. And I think that also goes to, like, I think rem I remember the class is called Xiangtu Jiaoxue. It's like a local cult cultural class. Oh, okay. Yeah, everyone born in 1992, I think they, they, they experience that. So Han Taiwanese who speak Taiwanese, they, speak, they, they learn Taiwanese and Hakka, they learn Hakka. And Taiwan people learn Taiwan languages. When I was there in school, but it's like two hours every week. Yeah. So so not a lot of immersion. Not a lot. Okay. Not a lot of immersion and... Do you speak, is it called Paiwan? Yeah, Paiwan. The language? Yeah. Do, you, do you speak Paiwan with your parents as well? Actually, I don't. I speak Paiwan with my peers if oh. I could, but my, my my parents not really. But I was, you know, I grew up listening to Paiwan language from my grandparents and their their friends, so I I can listen. My speaking is weak, but I can manage like you know daily life with Paiwan languages. I don't know, like my my grandparents, my parents, they are, I don't know why when they turned to me, this they spoke Mandarin to me. Mm. It's interesting because it's not just happening to me. Other families too. Maybe they want us to get involved in the society so we learn Mandarin or something like that. Did your parents grow up in a similar sort of uh, assimilation of learning Mandarin yeah, in public school? They have a harsher time when, I, when they're in school. When they're in elementary schools, junior high school, senior high school, Taiwan, I think I remember the Taiwan was, was under martial law. Right. So there is there was a policy that banning people from speaking dialects, including Taiwanese Hakka, wow. in school setting. If you're caught speaking dialects, then you have to pay, and you have to wear this kind of tag, say like something, just some some bad words. Sort of shaming people. Shaming people. Who yes. Spoke other yes. Languages. Yes. I think that wow. also impacted on how my my parents perceive. Uh, Baiwan language and Mandarin, but in my generation, it's all long gone. We don't have that. That's good. I, I'm I'm glad the uh, the language education continues then for the next generation. Yes, so it there's is still important. people speaking it. Yes, it is if, important. If there ever is, if there's ever anyone raising a kid and wondering if you should teach them an extra language, yes, yes, do it. Mm -hmm. Teach your kids as many languages as you can. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And thank you very much for coming on Taiwan Talk this yes. week. Lius Rakulivu, thank you for joining us. And thank you for thank listening. You. See you next time. 